Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, this this show is a little unique because we're going to share some expertise with you about you remembering where you put your car keys or maybe that date with your significant other, your husband, your wife, your partner, whoever it is, or that event that you, you know, just kind of forgot about. So today we have an expert on memory. Nelson Dellis is with us. Nelson, you feel like you're a memory champion even. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk with you. <laughs> now, before we get into your expertise on memory and how it's going to help me in my marriage, because I'm always forgetting things, I really like to, with the Secrets of Success listeners, just get to know our guests and their journey and where they've traveled and those kinds of things. So, you know, and before I kind of get into it, we didn't talk about this off air, but we have a little history because you have a real passion around Alzheimer's. And yeah. I might even said that wrong. And I lost my father-in-law a year ago to that disease. Um, and so we'll get into that discussion, especially those of you that are listening about your passion around brain health. And I can't, as a health coach, can't underestimate or under sort of prescribe the uh, diligence around those things these days. So that notwithstanding, uh, Nelson, this uh, your journey, where did you uh, grow up? Where was sort of home for you in the beginning years? Yeah, um, I had an interesting upbringing. My, my father was a businessman and was constantly swooping into businesses and uh, fixing them up. So we moved a lot. And uh, he's, uh, my parents are of European descent. So uh, I was actually born in the UK, and uh, we moved a lot between London, uh, Miami, and Paris. It was kind of like this triangle. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, but I was put in American schools all the time, hence no accent um, anymore. And yeah, but I, I'd say by now, I mean, Miami's my home. I did my high school here, um, undergrad at UM, University of Miami, and graduate school as well. Well, wow. well, and so when you think about it, what, what was that your your parents were doing that they were in these three locations? What was his? He was different businesses, and he would go to Paris and start one, and then come back to the U.S. or or how was no, how did that work? He from yeah, I mean, he was working for big companies that existed. I think he was being headhunted uh, to to manage these businesses that weren't doing well or that needed a little bit of a. A, a change. So, for example, we moved to Miami first. Um, my dad was the president of Burger King International, um, and then he, we moved back to France. Um, he was working as the president of uh, Europe Car, which is a big rental company there. And so that that's the kind of idea. They were big companies, um, mm. but uh, yeah, it was always like a few years here and there. Wow. And then what part of the UK were you born in? Uh, technically, Wimbledon. Uh, is exactly the, the time I was born in, but that's essentially London. Okay. Well, if you think about all of us know tennis, or some of us do anyways, my wife's a passionate, so there you go. She'll yeah. want to have like a personal call with you immediately after the show. So with that, <laughs> with you being famous in that. So Nelson, uh, your journey, you spent, you know, the last sort of uh, years of high school in in the U.S. 
tell us your little journey about where you are now and, and what you're serving. So that transition from high school into university, what was, what's your story there? What's, what were some of the things that you were thinking about and contemplating that yeah. led you to this direction? So um, growing up, I always wanted to uh, be an astronaut. I wanted to go to places where nobody else had and just experience the awe of the universe. And um, so when I went into to college, um, I studied physics and loved it. Um, you know, I, I didn't know if that necessarily would make me an astronaut, but I was learning about the cosmos and the mm. origin of the universe and things like that. And that really, like, you know, wet my noodle. So... Um, I loved it. Um, I actually went on track to, to do my PhD. And um, after a few years of doing that, I kind of realized I wanted something a little more, you know, immediate um, in terms of what I was studying and the applications of it. So I, I switched to computer science and uh, finished up my master's in that. And um, yeah, I mean, I also had a background in math. I got my major in math as well. Um, so I always liked things that kind of challenged my mind um, and helped me understand things that were beyond me, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, especially if you wanted to be an astronaut, you were just trying to find the undiscovered. Yeah, exactly. And, and about the astronaut thing, my hopes kind of died when I realized, at least for the old space shuttle, uh, the height limit was 6'4". I'm 6'6". Six, six, so... Um, when I grew past 6'4", I was very upset. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, usually it's the other way. Well, it used to be the other way around, that if you were too short, you couldn't go into a profession. Now, of course, uh, you said 6'6", six, six, or even a fighter pilot, I suppose, as well. Probably, and, yeah. But there are some limits there that if you're 7'2", you're probably not going to fit in that right. that well. <laughs> so, there we go. So no, no aspirations to move into volleyball or basketball then. No, I played basketball. Um, I, I'm a good athlete, I think, but basketball, I, I never, at least in high school, I couldn't bulk up. So I was this tall, lanky guy that was forced to play center, and I just got beat up, you know? Like, I was easy to box out, and, you know. I, yeah, I never thought I would be a good basketball player. So Okay, well, let's just go to computer science and then not worry about the computer abusing us from there. Well, exactly. that's, that's great. So, I mean, you really have these different trajectories, uh, and yeah. you go into computer science. What really sort of led you towards, you know, helping others around this whole memory side? Or is there a story in between there before you got into what to the work you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a nice person. I, I like helping people, but I never really had a calling for that um, until this memory stuff happened. And it really started with a more personal story with my, my grandmother, um, who was suffering with Alzheimer's um, in the mid to late um, 2000s. And she was, she's French. She was French. And um, so we'd get to see her maybe once or twice a year as we traveled over there. And I think that's really what made, you know, this disease that she was um, suffering with so impactful. Because um, I'd see these crazy changes in, in her cognition from one trip to the next. Um, and so when she eventually passed away, that's kind of what triggered my um, rapidly rising interest in memory and brain health. And that's what led me to discover this memory championship and memory techniques and that whole thing. And um, as I got better at it and started winning championships, then I realized that, you know, 
while this was initially for me uh, and my future self trying to keep my brain healthy, I feel like I'd like to share this with others and um, hopefully get other people uh, to experience what I experienced. Now, as you were, and thank you for that, as you were uh, transitioning, what were you doing just before you started to get into this? Were you still yeah. working in computer science or what were you doing? Yeah, good question. I was, um, I had just graduated um, and got my first job out of, you know, computer science um, working. I was in Boston for a company that uh, develops this uh, uh, math software. It's a company called Wolfram Research. And uh, they have this website. It still exists. It's called Wolfram Alpha. You can kind of ask it questions and it tries to answer your questions. Um, it's kind of like Google, but a bit smarter. But I guess Google has come so far now it's it's kind of obsolete. Um, but I was working on the computer side, science side of uh, mm. that website. So analytics, using your math and your computer science together to be able to create uh, yeah, logarithms and uh, calculations for others. Well, that's great. That's cool. And yeah. so then you really have this family sort of event that occurred. And mm -hmm. so here you are, math guy, computer science guy, now moving to health. Where, yeah. where did you start getting your information and start learning about how the health of the brain? And then, you know, to be a memory champion, like, boom, here this guy, okay, I'm just going to do this. Yeah. Uh, that seems to come out of nowhere, but I'm sure it didn't. You probably had that capability somewhere along the way. But uh, where did you really go to, to start developing your knowledge and expertise in this space, you know, after your, uh, you really noticed your grandmother yeah. and her condition? I mean, it, it really hooked the, – the U.S. Memory Championship is what hooked me because it seemed like – People at these competitions, I assumed that they'd be um, just savants or naturally um, having these amazing memories. But upon further research, I realized that basically all of them, uh, especially the the winners, the top guys um, and girls, were using techniques and just a lot of practice. And that was really the first time that I ever heard of anybody changing their memory, the the, the mm. power of their memory through practice and some techniques. So, so let me stop you there. The listeners are there. Nelson, can I? Can I actually change my memory capabilities? Yes, yes. And, uh, I mean, I'm a prime okay. example because my memory was average, I'd say, nothing special. And I really mean that. I mean, a lot of people are like, well, is that really true? And I'm like, I, I, I swear. I mean, there's nothing. I, I struggled with memory just like everybody else does. You know, there was nothing where I would have said, wow, Nelson, he's a phenomenal memory. No, never. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so now you started to study and move into this. Now, so how are you linking memory with, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's, which, which you know, is so, so out there? Right. So, I mean, it started with uh, the idea that, okay, I, I saw my grandmother in this situation, and I did not want myself to end up in the same way. Maybe this would be a genetic thing, and, you know, that's kind of my – my future, right? So what can I do about it now to hopefully, you know, set up myself for, um, to fight it later on. And, you know, if you do a bunch of research online, it's not definitive that, you know, training your mind like I have will do that. But, um, you know, there is something to be said about keeping your mind healthy by exercising it through these memory exercises. Um, some of the things you eat, um, how you just lifestyle changes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of came after 
my interest initially that happened with the, the championships where I was uh, training my memory and trying to win this competition. The other kind of health benefits kind of um, permeated uh, throughout that process. Okay, and we'll get to that here, you know, in the show as far as those, those health uh, strategies yeah. and those items. But let's just kind of go back into you, uh, you know, starting to train your mind with memory techniques. Mm-hmm. Explain to the audience, you know, like how does a person even start? Like what the, where do you go to or what do you think about or what are the sort of the basic yeah. strategies to start improving my basic memory? Um, health, we'll talk about that secondary. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like a funny thing to, to, to start training your memory because it's like, what do I memorize and how do I measure it or whatever? So I think that's why the, the, the championship itself was really good for me because there were specific events, you know, memorizing names, memorizing decks of cards, numbers, words, and there were records, like standards that I had to kind of get towards to be competitive. And so that was one way to measure it. I would just do those exercises every day and I would get better. Um, in terms of learning about the techniques, you know, obviously I had to figure out how these people were, you know, memorizing a whole deck of cards in under a few minutes. And um, for that, I looked up just memory techniques up online. Um, I found a few books by former memory champions um, or psychologists who wrote about memory. And, you know, they all kind of said the same thing, um, which, you know, when I first saw it, I thought, okay, this is kind of weird but I'm going to try it. And I tried it. These are techniques that are thousands of years old um, from the Greeks and it worked. And then from then on, once you have kind of the basics, it's not very difficult. Um, It's all about strategy, right? You're given some kind of information to memorize. How are you going to spin that into the same kind of fundamental technique uh, so that you can memorize it with, um, with ease, you know? So what are some of these sort of, uh, I'll call it standard or basic or common strategies that the listeners could benefit from, Nelson, yeah. today? So, so the basic um, kind of tips that we could start with, um, well, first, before anything, is to note that what we said before, anybody can do this. We have this capability to memorize enormous amounts of information latent inside of us. You know, it's just kind of waiting to be released. It's, it's kind of like you just got to think about memory in a different way and suddenly you can actually have a better memory. Mm. And I, I blame that maybe on the fact that nobody has ever taught us this in schools, you know, as a kid, um, which is a shame, but we all have the capability. So it starts with that. The second thing is, you know, what are you actually supposed to do? So I kind of break it down into three step process. The first step is when, whenever you're trying to memorize something, is to, you should try to turn it into a picture. So something you can imagine in your mind's eye that has a lot of life and color to it. Um, so you want to add you know, all the senses to that image. Try to tag it to, with things that are emotionally charged or hilarious or over the top. And the, the idea being that you know, when we're faced with something we have to learn or memorize, it usually is new. And for that reason, it is kind of complicated for our brains to just absorb naturally. Um, mm-hmm. Think of if you're looking at a 20-digit number, right? Um, 20 digits in a row, you know, sure, we see numbers all the time, but 20 digits in a row doesn't really mean anything. It's kind of upsetting for our brain to look at, right, if it was just going to try mm-hmm. to absorb that. So how do I turn that 20-digit number into something meaningful 
uh, in terms of a picture in my mind. And I don't mean just picturing the numbers. I mean something that associates uh, those numbers or whatever you're memorizing to a picture that has all those emotions and color. So I don't know if you want to ask me questions at this point, and we can continue. Well, when you think about that, I guess, the, you know, let's say as a listener right now instead of the host, yeah. I said, well, how do I, you know, if I have a 20-digit number, do I have 20 uh, images that I have in my mind? How, how am I doing that? Yeah, so, you know, coming up with a picture, that's a very general way of saying that. Um, in terms of numbers and other kind of things you might have to memorize, that's where the strategy comes into play. How do I turn that into the picture? And so, you know, with words, if you had a list of grocery items that are just mm-hmm. words, you know, you could just picture whatever comes to mind when you read that word, right? So you, mm-hmm. if you have to get some milk, uh, you might picture a cow, you know, udders, uh, splurting milk everywhere, right? That's mm-hmm. a pretty memorable picture. But if I see a 20-digit number, that obvious image isn't so obvious. So that's where, you know, sometimes this encoding process needs a bit of work and there are systems you can uh, learn to translate those numbers into words and then those words translate into images. But on a very, uh, you know, on a more basic level, if you're looking at a number, you might try to see numbers or chunks of numbers that remind you of things and think of those pictures. So, you know, if you're a big sports buff, the number 23 might remind you instantly of Michael Jordan. The number 16 might remind you of Joe Montana. The number, um, I don't know, uh, 405 might remind you of the time you got on your marathon when you ran it, right? So if you can relate it to these numbers that that you have experienced in your life through whatever interests you have, that's mm-hmm. kind of part of the step, right? It's coming up with these relations, these associations, these pictures. Okay, great. Well, a lot of us, you know, one of the skills today is being a great conversationalist, really having interpersonal and communication skills is one of the foundational elements of influence in life. So, Nelson, how do I remember uh, names of individuals? I just met some in, somebody Yep. Um, you're new. I've got 10 people around the table. They were just introduced. Man, by the time I got to the 10th, I don't remember the first person. So <laughs> how, how do I uh, anchor something as practical as that of just remembering the names of new people and be able to kind of play on that, especially if there's clusters, you know, three or yep. four new people at once? Yeah, I mean, remembering names is probably the most asked um, question I get. How do I do it? Um, and it's, this, it's the same three-step process. You know, I, I talked about the first step, which is turning the information into a picture. So when you're meeting someone and you get a name, you take that name and you try to turn it into a picture. So that can mean coming up with something that the name reminds you of, sounds like, uh, you know, reads like. So, for example, Nelson, what, what does that name remind you of? It reminds me of when I got frostbite in a city called Nelson when I was in high school doing cross country. In, in uh, British Columbia? In British Columbia. Wow. Uh, How about that? <laughs> yeah, okay, so you, could, you have an image of frostbite for my name. Interesting. Um, but that's great. That's, that's an awesome picture. I mean, you can picture like a, a black hand or a black finger, and it's cold, right? Maybe it's uh, surrounded by snow, that kind of thing. Well, the the town that this incident happened in is Nelson. Right. So that's right. where the linkage is, right? Yeah, and that, that's how our brain works, right? So you can have a picture of, you know, frostbite, which obviously has nothing to do with me, Nelson Dallas, 
but the frostbite to you makes you think of Nelson, which then would remind you of me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of the equation. The second step is to what do you do with that picture, right? Because if it's just something you thought of, then it's just kind of floating in your brain. And yeah, it's there. Maybe you remember it because it was very memorable and, and vivid. But what happens a week later when you run into me? Am I still going to remember that? Because that thought is kind of just fly, floating around in my head. So the next step is to anchor that uh, picture somewhere. Uh, and in general, the broad way to say this is to anchor it to something you already know. Um, and so for names, what I do, um, or, or in general, what we do is we use uh, what's called a memory palace. We think of a, a familiar place like our house or um, you know an office that you work in every day, mm-hmm. something that you don't have to memorize because you already have it memorized just by the fact that you're always there and you've been there many times. You could close your eyes and visualize the space. And what you do is you place these pictures along a route through that um, space. And that, that route will anchor down the order of what you were trying to remember. And the important thing is you picture those images interacting with different stops along the way, different anchor points. And so for names, uh, because maybe memory palace is kind of not the best use case because you meet people all the time. You may never see them again. You may see them every day. It's hard to say. It would be hard to populate a memory palace with all these people. Instead, that anchoring, what you do is you take a feature that you see uh, when you meet them. So maybe somebody you meet has a large nose or beautiful eyes or really crazy hairdo, uh, whatever you notice. And that becomes your anchor that you attach the picture, uh, in your case, the frostbite, to. And so you come up with this crazy visual of, you know, I'm a tall guy. So maybe your image is the, the, the feature you notice is that I'm really tall. So you would maybe picture a frostbitten finger um, at the top of my head, right? And why did you put it there? Because I'm tall and I'm closer to the sun up there. So maybe you wanted to heat up and, and revive some of the dead tissue of that frostbitten finger. You know, you make some elaborate thought or picture in your mind, right? Mm-hmm. The, the idea is that next time you see me, you're not going to be trying to think of what my name was. You're going to notice what you noticed about me, the feature, my height, and then the, that serves as the anchor. So it brings along the picture for the name. And then because of the feature, you were, are remembering my name, Nelson. Mm-hmm. And you have, just so the audience knows, you have actually uh, have a record of memorizing 217 names in 15 minutes. Yeah, that's right. I was 201 just a few weeks ago, and then I, um, I beat it um, just the other week. Wow. Well, congratulations on that, Nelson. Yeah. Frostbite yeah. Nelson. And yeah. so I'm glad that we're having a little bit of fun with this. So let's just transition. I'm, we're going to come back to this, Nelson, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thanks. But let's, let's transition a little bit into brain health because I mean that is a passion for us as a health coach we have a wellness assessment and so when we think about you know the percentage of the population that are going to have some kind of uh, degradation of their mind if they don't take care of it what have you learned on your journey about mind and brain health that you can share with the audience yeah um, I mean when you think of just being healthy in general uh, most people will not think of your of the brain of their own brain 
Um, what comes to mind is I should probably uh, eat better, work out more, um, or be more active, um, get more sleep, reduce stress, those kinds of things. But you always kind of have your body and what's inside of everything below your neck, right? Uh, your heart, your lungs, which is fine, of course. But, um, you know, there are steps you can do to do similar things for your brain, which is arguably the most important uh, part of your your body's health. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the first thing is, is just having people be aware that, you know, your mind is a big part of your health and there's actually things you can do to um, improve it. Just like, you know, you go to the gym to get physically uh, healthier, you know? Right. So what are some of those things that you discovered then? Yeah. So I try to live by, it's more of a lifestyle thing. So I try to live by these four kind of pillars I call of brain health. And one is, you know, we've already talked about it, just keeping your mind active. Um, this is the exercise part for the brain. And it doesn't have to be memorizing necessarily. That happens to be mine because I do that every single day. Um, but it could be, it's essentially anything that, you know, makes it, it's, that is not comfortable for you to do uh, with your head, right? Um, mm. It's easy to just watch uh, a mindless show on Netflix um, and to just, you know, sit back and hang out with, your friends that don't challenge you or whatever. I don't know. Um, but when you pick up a book and it really challenges you, challenges you to think or, you know, you're trying to learn a new language or play a new instrument and it's difficult, right, because you're just starting, that's the kind of thing that is really good for your brain because you're just making all these new connections inside your brain. You're exercising your mind. Um, so that's one of them. The, the other one is diet. So eating the right foods uh, to help your brain and cognition. There are certain foods you can have. Um, three would be physical fitness. So I'm just going to back you up for a second. Yeah. So when you think about uh, diet, what are some of the, and I obviously have some answers here that we've found, but what are some yeah. of the uh, toxic things that really affect the mind that you want to avoid when it comes to diet that you learned about? Yeah, and I've, I've played with different things to kind of see what works best. I found that the best results for me is when I get rid of, I mean, this is going to sound like obvious things, but a lot of the sugars, uh, processed foods, um, alcohol, if you want to be really strict about it. Um, but mostly the, the sugar for me is the big thing. Um, and that's hard because yeah, you can stop eating sweets and stuff like that, but sugar is, is in everything. And, uh, I found, you know, when you really tighten up on the amount of sugar you get, the amount of carbs that you eat, um, everything seems a little clearer uh, in your mind. And well, uh, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. You probably know a little more than I do. Well, they're now calling, um, you know, really dementia Alzheimer's type three diabetes or insulin resistance. Yeah. And so that whole space is 100%. Uh, Nelson is that sugars will are toxic to your brain and Dr. Amen's work and all his scans are into that as well. And then the processed foods are really, uh, another way that sugars or insulin resistance occurs. So, uh, for sure. So the diet, and then, like you said, just eating healthy and, and live real foods. Uh, hello. Yeah. Uh, and then what would, what was after diet that you really talked about or, or is one of your pillars? Yep. So then after that is, is physical fitness. So just keeping physically active. Um, the brain is, is a highly vascular organ and, you know, requires blood flow uh, to occur in terms of thinking and uh, being sharp. So um, being fit, you feel better, 
your blood flows is 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 healthier. Um, and there's just a bit of you know you feel better about everything you do when you when you work out everything just feels like a, a better oiled machine right. Um, well, welcome then, to endorphin heaven, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. so with that, and I want to back up because I haven't mentioned this to the listeners yet, Nelson. You have actually been on Mount Everest three times. Yeah. What, yeah. What, tell us that. Like, I guess you weren't uh, going to be an astronaut, so you're trying to get as close to <laughs> exactly to the yeah. space uh, station as possible on this Earth. So that was uh, the next best thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did how did how did this happen? So you, I mean, you get this memory guy. But all of a sudden, he's going on to Everest, not once, but three times. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. This, about the same time that I started uh, on my memory journey, this was after my grandmother passed. So 11 years now. No, uh, sorry, almost 10 years. And, um, yeah, I was, you know, as, as you may have gathered already, I like to go do things that are kind of pushing the limits and kind of take you to places where you've never been, right? And mountain climbing is always, or mountains in general have always fascinated me. And um, I wanted to start seeing what it would be like to get on top of one. And so I, I had a very, you know, mild goal of climbing a, a smaller peak here in the U.S. and took a basic mountaineering course. And then, you know, I summited that and it was one of the best experiences of my life, um, the hardest too. And then I just wanted to climb something bigger and more um, intense, and then that eventually culminated to uh, the goal of Everest, which um, I attempted first in 2011, and came 50 meters short of the summit. I had to turn around, and um, I wow, said, wow, I've that seen... is the hardest thing to do. A lot of people die going down. That's right. right. Yeah, and they push a little too much, and you know, I'm very happy that I, I turned when I did. I was not in a good state, um, but. Um, I've since tried two more times um, in different, um, with different teams on a different side of the mountain as well. And it, I've, I've come up short. So it's kind of this, uh, it's, it's, it's not an easy um, expedition or mountain to climb. Um, some people get it on their first try who have no experience. You know, you'll read about that. But um, a lot of luck goes into it too in terms of the weather, how your body um, responds, um, if you get sick, I mean, it's so easy to get sick there. So it's just not been my, my luck. But aside from that, I, I just love climbing. Um, the whole experience is such a memorable thing, and I love challenging my mind and body because climbing is a very mental sport as well. Mm -hmm. And you created a, uh, a nonprofit called Climb from Memory. Uh, yeah, share, with, so share with the listeners what that's about. So all together, this kind of converged into what you said, a, a charity that, I, that was designed to help get the word out there about these memory techniques and brain health and um, try to raise awareness for the disease that took my grandmother. And I figured since I was getting into mountain climbing and I seemed to get a lot of interest from people asking questions, what it was like and how they could do it. And I thought it might be a good platform to promote and talk about this disease um, and, and how to fight it. And so I would go on these big climbs and, and, you know, there are these almost two month expeditions. Um, I have people follow along and, you know, I'd be raising awareness and, and some funds for the disease as well for research. And cool. so, yeah, so cool. that's, that's, that's you don't hear this combination very often. So we certainly have to no. mention that. And yeah. then on top of that, you went and wrote 
a children's book. Yeah. I forgot something, but I can't remember what it was. And so, as well as, based on your notes here, is you illustrated it as well. Yeah. So, I, how, how did that happen? Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I had alluded to it before uh, in our conversation. There's, I, I wish that these memory techniques would be taught to children. I mean, mm. we should know these from the day we're born and use it throughout our schooling and it should be just common practice that we know how to do this. All the strategies, all little techniques, everything. Um, because it's just so easy and it, it just plays to who we are, I think, as, as humans. Uh, we can all imagine and we can all think of places. And um, just using our imagination and being creative is something that um, you need to have a good memory and you can work on it. What age is this book for? This age, uh, yeah, so the one I did for the children was, it's like a first grade kind of, um, uh, yeah, like five years old. Um, so it's, it's very, very simple. Uh, it just talks about this uh, memory palace idea that I was mentioning before uh, with two little characters that I, I drew, uh, an owl and an elephant who just can't remember something that he had to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Cool. Uh, love it. Love it. Now, I interrupted your flow because we said you had uh, four pillars, I believe, yeah. and the third one was fitness. So the fourth one is what? So the fourth one is kind of like a, a little wild card, but it's, it's, it's really just being socially active and involved. Um, and that can mean many things, um, but it kind of ties back to um, the keeping your mind active, uh, one of the first pillars. Because when you're socially active, you're out with your friends, your community, doing things with the people in your neighborhood, um, doing things for good, um, or even just you know putting yourself out there um, so that you are encountering situations that challenge your mind, whether it's through a conversation or, um, you know, someone telling you, hey, let's go skydiving, and then suddenly you're like, okay, I'm skydiving just because my friend really pushed me. You know, suddenly you're doing something that you never thought you would do, and um, maybe that's a bad example, but something like skydiving can, you know, uh, that is kind of an exercise for the brain because you're thinking about a million things that you've never thought about before. Um, as you do that, right? So, and on top of that, it kind of serves back to um, Alzheimer's as well, kind of the prevention for that, because if you have a strong uh, social group around you, you know, you're close with your family, you have a tight-knit group of friends that you can rely on as you get older, and potentially, you know, you are in a situation where you're, um, you know, developing Alzheimer, uh, you're not going to really know how bad things are for you, um, but the people around you will, and they are the ones that will probably have to take care of you. So if you can build out that kind of network, you probably um, will be able to be supported for uh, longer. Well, it's, in it's interesting, Nelson, because the la latest research is that as my community grows, one of the number, one of the top three contributors to longevity is my social network. Really interesting. And yeah. in fact, you've been on the Dr. Oz show, and, and he has one of his assessment, and your assessment based on longevity is that the more friends you have, it seems to, and this is deep friendships, not just uh, yeah, yeah. platitudes, is seems to expand and grow your 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 longevity or your life. So there is a linkage to there. There's a, I forget the doctor's name. Sorry. 
that's maybe the wrong thing to say right now and a memory expert but there's a YouTube that's out there and then she was really going through as a TEDx talk and this is one of the top three contributors and so you're really talking about you know this social connection that really enriches me and grows me and um, and just nurtures my soul which yeah. then contributes to of all things my memory and my ability to contribute right yeah that's exactly it so when we're thinking about, and so we have about 10 minutes left in the show, Nelson, and so we want to make sure that we have some practical ideas for our listeners. What else that you haven't shared so far can you share with the listeners that we can start uh, using our mind and our brain in a more proactive, in a more memory kind of focused way and so that it serves us versus it sort of hindering some of the things that we want to do? Yeah, um, the first thing that, people should really try uh, to, to incorporate in terms of improving their memory is to, first of all, take in what I'm saying and believe that you have the same capacity that I do, for example, um, or any memory expert. Um, this is something that you can do. Um, this is something any listener can do. We all have an amazing memory. So the, the number one killer for memory, uh, ironically enough, is confidence um, or the oh, really? lack thereof, right? So if you think you have a bad memory, chances are you have a bad memory, right? But if you, have, if you think you have a good memory, I bet those people actually have good memories. I mean, that kind of makes sense, but it feeds in itself. So if the you psychology start, of self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And, you know, I, I encounter people that are always like, I'm horrible with names, just horrible. And, you know, they're going to be horrible with names until they stop saying that. Um, if you just change that thought um, process in your head and you say, like, you know what? Okay, maybe I'm not great at names, uh, but I know I can be good at names, so I'm going to be good at names from here on forth, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what, what happens then? For example, you might go to a party suddenly, um, and with that mission statement in mind, you're going to be more focused on that task, right? You're going to be more attentive when you listen to someone's name. You're going to go into that party kind of on a mission to memorize, you know, maybe as many names as you can. And that intent is the game changer. Um, I, I could not even have to tell you a memory technique. And if you went into a party like that with the goal of memorizing names, you'd come out better than you've ever done before. Mm. So um, that's kind of the first thing, and, and that's kind of obvious. The second thing is, is kind of what I said there, is to pay attention more. And I feel like when you learn about memory and memory techniques, your attention radar kind of turns on uh, a lot more. I found when I started memorizing things and learning about these techniques that as I looked around, I was always kind of trying to you know, analyze things that were flying at me, a billboard that I saw or a license plate or a name that I overheard. And I try to process it um, with such attention and applying these techniques that suddenly I was almost hyper aware of everything. And, and that allowed me to remember more. Um, so just being more attentive and learning, being open to these memory techniques will improve your memory. Now, uh, Nelson, what would you say to our society who is just fully distracted with social media yeah. and 155 notices binging on my phone? Uh, how do you speak to that as yeah. strategy? And, and so that, that was kind of what I was going to lead into is that you also, if you want to have a better memory, you got to put down your phone from time to time um, and actually rely on the thing that's living inside your head. Um, I have this great uh, anecdote I like to tell. Um, my wife is from upstate New York, 
and um, we've been there countless times for holidays and whatever. And I always drive um, for whatever reason. Cause I rent, I rent the car, but uh, I don't know my way around. I maybe can get down the street to the gas station and back, but without Google maps, I'm lost or without my wife telling me where to turn, I'm lost. Right. So this last time we were there, I told her, okay, stop. This is, I'm going to figure out, we were like off with some farm, um, getting uh, what do you call it? Apple cider donuts. Okay. Um, so nice. that time of year. And I was like, you know what? I think I know how to get back home. I'm going to try. You're not going to tell me yes or no. This is the right turn, right, uh, wrong turn. I'm not going to look at my phone. And you know what? I, I, I did it. And I, you know, I, there were some turns that were, I was a bit unsure, but I forced myself to go mm-hmm. with what I thought was right. And the point is, is that at the end of that experience, I now knew the rope for sure, right? The, the route for sure. Um, and now I don't have to ever ask her again because I know it because of that active process of focusing, not relying on my, um, my devices to do that. So if you put down your phone and someone's going to give you a phone number, you know, yeah. Okay. Maybe later you can store it in your phone because you know, but your phone's there for a reason. Might as well use it uh, to, to be your, your, your phone book, but try to memorize it, put away your phone and listen to the person across from you, spend some time with this person and really, you know, receive the information that they're mm. giving to you. Um, because too often nowadays we're just always face down looking at our phones and we're not using our minds. We don't have to, uh, because of these devices are so technologically, um, uh, advanced and helpful, but, we're losing these these natural skills of, of our memory that we used to, to have that we take for granted now. Nelson, it must be some computer science guy with math background that's causing all this for us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just needed to mess with you a little bit. That's true. It's kind of fun. <laughs> so they do the calculation. And yeah. uh, what else would you say to us? Is there uh, that would be pertinent for our audience? Yeah, and, and so I, I really encourage people to try this, this uh, memory palace technique. And the easiest way to try it is with um, your grocery list or like a to-do list that you have. And we all have that every day. Um, so what you do is, is, is I encourage people to start by thinking about their house and to choose 10 kind of pieces of furniture in, in order. You know, just imagine yourself floating through your house with your eyes closed and, um, you know, start at your front door right? And that would be your first kind of mm-hmm. piece of furniture, your first location. And then navigate through it till you get to say your bedroom, right? And you, where you stop at 10 places along the way. So it could be say your front door, your entryway, the sofa in your living room, the TV, the fridge, you know, whatever, something that makes sense. And then when you're trying to memorize a list of grocery items, like I said, that first tip was to come up with names, uh, to come up with pictures, sorry. Um, you place those pictures along the, that route on each of those um, pieces of furniture. So if my first item was milk, like I said before, um, I would think of the front door. Maybe there's a cow just spraying milk out of its udders all over the front door, right? Mm-hmm. And then I walk into the entryway. That's my le- next location. And maybe I need to buy some cheese. So maybe I would imagine some melted moldy cheese all over the floor, right? It's really stinky. Um, and so on. So mm-hmm. by that, when you're in the grocery store, all you have to do is think of your house starting at the front door and your list is right there as you navigate through it in your mind. And so I encourage people to just think of their house and try to turn their 
list that they have to memorize into pictures and then store it in their house. They'll be very surprised at how uh, amazing that works and how easy it is to remember. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Nelson. Now, Nelson, if people want to find out more about your work and what you're doing, how might they uh, get a hold of you or learn more about you? Yep, they can go to my website, nelsondellis.com. Um, I have links to my YouTube videos. Um, my charity link is on there as well, Climb for Memory. Or you can go to my uh, charity's website straight off. Uh, it's climb, the number four, memory.org. Okay. And then you also are working on a book for adults, are you not? Yeah, uh, I'm excited about that. It's, it's called Remember It, uh, and it will be out in September this year. Uh, are you self-publishing or you have somebody else that's doing that? No, so the, the children's book was self-published. Uh, this one is actually with a big New York publisher, uh, Abrams Books. Um, I'm really excited. I mean, they've made the book. Uh, I, we just finished the design of it. It looks awesome. It's really, not, no, I don't mean to say this on purpose, but memorable. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the perfect, perfect on that. So everybody listening is that Nelson's work is going to be available in his uh, book to be released in, I don't know when you're listening to this show, it could be in 2019, but this is in 2018. So the fall uh, 2018, remember yeah. it. And so that'll be where you have all your techniques, you have all that information. And then, of course, one of the things you said to, for us to do, Nelson, was to read another book and be able yeah. to stretch. So this really should be your book, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> okay. the book you <laughs> now, to wrap up, any final uh, comments to the, to the audience, Nelsons, before we wrap up? No, I just want to harp back on what I said before. Is I, I hope that listening to me, you know, you, the listeners out there really think twice about um, their own memory and what it means to have a good memory. Um, it's, it's fictional that you know, people are just given amazing memories. It's memory is something that uh, is, needs to be worked on. It's a skill just like anything else. And we all have the capability uh, to have a good one. So no more excuses if you're out there with a, saying that you have a bad memory. <laughs> well, this is what this show is about, is make sure we get rid of the excuses, get strategies to improve our life. Nelson, thanks for spending time with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks again. That was you're, awesome. you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, listeners... Uh, you know, Nelson really gave you a lot of ideas and strategies, plus a story about moving from really not knowing anything about this to being an expert on memory and that every single person here could do it. I started the show, so listen, it's something that we could all benefit from. If you could remember the names of the party, if you could have recall of some uh, details that you haven't right now, that's going to benefit all of us in the course we don't want to be a statistic with this thing called dementia or Alzheimer's as well. So thank you very much, as always, for taking your most valuable commodity, your time, and, sh and sharing it with us and listening to our show. If you like what we're doing, could you share it? Could you pass it on? Could you let others know about the show so that they can benefit from uh, this show as well? So thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.